it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Josh, how are you doing? We are getting ever so closer to the start of the college football season. We are now mid-August. I believe week zero is less than two weeks away as, as we currently record this, and it's, it's really starting to feel like football season. We're, we're right there. Closer and closer, man. I get more and more excited every day um, watching everything that comes out about fall practice, depth chart, media availability, just a ton of cool stuff going on right now and a ton of news that I know we could get to, but we're letting some of our uh, our partners and our teammates doing that. But yeah, just, just really excited that we're a couple weeks away and <laughs> looking forward to it. Honestly, just can't wait. Yeah, it's a really exciting time. We've got some, we are continuing obviously our Big Ten previews as we will be doing throughout the, until the start of the season. Um, continuing this week with Michigan State and Minnesota. But before we get to that, um, as has been the case really for almost all of these previews at this point, we have more Ohio State recruiting news as well as a couple of, of news and notes from the, the past week since we last recorded. The big uh, recruiting note here is the commitment of safety Jaden Bonsu to Ohio State, a four-star prospect, the nation's number 22 safety, the number four player out of New Jersey. Comes from a real good prep program at St. Peter's, at the same school that produced Minka Fitzpatrick at that same position. Um, you know, I, I live in Jersey out here. I, I've talked to some people, and they said that that's, a, uh, that that's a school that's known for their football program. They're very good at that kind of stuff. Um, a player here in Bonsu that once seemed lost to Miami, but Ohio State was able to flip the script and, and, and land him late, and it, it gives the Buckeyes here two defensive commitments in the last two weeks after things had gone uh, a bit south on that side of the ball recently. But, you know, two two good wins here on the recruiting trail for Ohio State and two big names added to the fold on that side of the ball that was so desperately needed. Yeah, good get. And I think we talked about Bonsu before. I like his skill set. I think that from what I've read, the the main area of improvement for him is potentially pass coverage. But, you know, that's the case for most high school defensive backs, I would say, specifically safety. So not a big concern there. I like his size. He's 6'1", 210. You get him in the weight room with Coach Mick. Uh, you know, you're probably looking at 6'1", 6'2", 220, 230, something like that. So I think he could eventually resemble and look like that Court Williams body type. And we've heard coming out of uh, you know practices and things like that that they're experimenting with Court Williams. They could potentially bring him down in the box, be sort of a, uh, a supersized nickelback, if you will. So uh, I think he's got a good skill set. And I think that to get a third safety in the class is big, specifically for Jim Knowles and his position coaches. But um he could be sort of a sleeper, in my opinion. I look at the number 22 ranking as far as safeties go. It's all about his fit and his skill set and what he can bring to this specific defense. So if and when they eventually get him in the fold, I think he can be a really good ball player. Yeah, for sure. And while you know his ranking doesn't jump off the page, like you said, he's a good fit for what Ohio State's trying to do, especially with the way that they're going to deploy the safeties under Jim Knowles. In addition to Bonsu, just you know, another little other little recruiting note here: um, Ohio State's still in on a handful of really big names on that side of the ball, including a, a trio of five-star defensive ends. Um, Mateo Uyangalele is a guy we've talked about a bunch, as well as James Smith and Qua Rasaw, which um, the Alabama duo and Smith and Rasaw included Ohio State in their top five this past week. No crystal balls yet for either of them, but they do play together at the same high school. I don't know if they're going to look to do some kind of package deal there. I haven't heard much traffic between them and Ohio State, but they did include the Buckeyes in their top five, so that's worth watching with Larry Johnson, uh, you know, still in the fold there at defensive line. You can never count him out for some of those big-name guys, but if you're worried and Gene, about... Gene, there's, 
Yeah. There's been some uh, rumors, I guess, out there in the atmosphere that Keon Keeley, the Notre Dame commit, the current Notre Dame commit, could have some interest in coming to that game. It's here at Ohio State. So if he does that, I don't know if that gets Ohio State into the fold. I don't know if they're in the fold right now. I think Alabama is also lurking for them because, of course, they are. But that could be sort of one of those surprise shockers there at the end, too. Yeah, you know, we wouldn't wouldn't hate to see that Ohio State, you know, earn a win against Notre Dame on the field as well as steal one of their top commits as a result. Uh, I certainly wouldn't hate it, but yeah, there's there's a lot going on in the Ohio State recruiting front, as we've said numerous times. It is it is August, and while it feels late, we still have to go all the way through December and potentially even February for some guys. So a lot of time left to get things done. Um, in terms of guys on the current roster, there was some some pretty bad news this week for Ohio State coming out of preseason camp. Um, Evan Pryor will be lost for the season with an injury, uh, a big blow to Ohio State's running back depth. Pryor was obviously a guy who was behind Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams on the depth chart, but we had heard a lot of great stuff about him out of spring practice and as well as preseason camp. We expect to see him show off some of his skills as that all-purpose back that he was recruited for, maybe catch some passes out of the backfield. But, you know, his injury kind of uh, leaves Ohio State a bit short in that running back room. They now are down to only three scholarship running backs on the roster uh, with Henderson Williams and then true freshman Dallin Hayden as sort of the last man in that room. So uh, a tough loss for Ohio State. Now, like I said, not a guy who is going to start the position, not a guy that was probably going to you know get a ton of snaps every game, but definitely a guy that they're looking to incorporate into the offense as he you know looks to improve his Ohio State career as some of these guys ahead of him you know move on as the years go on. Evan Pryor, I think, is probably the next guy in line to win that job eventually. But a, a tough loss for him, tough for Ohio State. And, uh, you know, hopefully he's has a speedy recovery and gets back to, to top form soon. Yeah, a real bummer. You know, I was high on Evan Pryor. I liked his skill set, sort of a dual threat back, played really well in the spring game, caught a couple balls, looked like he could add a uh, a different element as far as backups go or one B's go because Mayan Williams, not known for his pass catching prowess, but first and foremost, a bummer for Evan Pryor, the player, obviously, but I think if there is a silver lining, it's probably timing, you know, for this to happen before the season. I would think that he is ready to go for next fall camp uh, during when they get into fall practices. So hopefully he's ready to go by then. And I, I sort of hate to say this, but if you want to be really selfish about it, this means red shirt for Evan Pryor. He comes back next year with three years of eligibility. And again, that's sort of a selfish thing to say, but it it saves some hits on him and uh, he's not competing as that third back. He'll probably end up doing that again next year, uh, presumably, but at least it keeps him in the fold and they've got Dallin Hayden there as a third guy right now. Maybe it gets a true freshman into the fold. So um, uh, major downside, but I think you can look for some silver linings there. And first and foremost, hopefully he just gets back healthy. He's able to rehab, get that lower body, that leg ready to go. And I think that all of us as Buckeye fans are going to remain high on him, his skill set, and what he can bring to the team. Yeah, for sure. The, you know, the first priority is getting him back on the field healthy. Um, obviously, you know, a, a blow to Ohio State. We don't want to see guys getting hurt, especially before the season even begins. Um, hopefully, Ohio State's able to, you know, avoid any more major injuries for, for the rest of the way. There have been some guys that have been banged up here and there throughout camp, but this is really the first, you know, significant injury of a player that was expected to get some time this year. Um, so, wishing the best for him. Um, on a more positive note for Ohio State, the last bit of news here for Ohio State this in the past week or so, before we get into our previews here, is the uh, debut of the preseason AP poll. Everyone's favorite. Um, poll to get the season going, really get the the debates going right off the bat before games have even been played. Uh, Ohio State debuts at number two in this year's preseason AP poll, sandwiched between last year's national title participants with Bama at number one and Georgia at number three. Um, A couple of of interesting teams in, in interesting spots, at least in my opinion here. Um, Notre Dame, Ohio State's opening opponent, uh, is listed at number five, which you know, in my opinion, is a bit high. But but then again, if Ohio State is you know able to win that game, it's going to look good for their resume. Um, Clemson at four is a bit odd, given what they looked like last year, and you know their entire staff basically leaving Dabo. Um, Oklahoma above Baylor, I think, is a little odd, given you know what Dave Aranda has been able to do at Baylor and Oklahoma debuting a new coach. Um, funny enough, Texas is unranked, so they are officially not back yet. 
Um, but other than that, you know, other Big Ten teams in the poll, Michigan at 8, MSU at 15, and Wisconsin at 18. And that those are the only other three ranked teams besides Ohio State. Josh, I don't know if you've had a, t- a chance to really dig deep into the preseason AP poll, if anything really stood out to you. But I think that, you know, number two for Ohio State, based on their, you know, what we think of them and what we are expecting of them this season, if their defense can improve and that offense keeps humming, uh, I think that's about the right spot behind, you know, just Alabama. No major surprises for me, Gene, and I'm with you as far as Notre Dame and Clemson are concerned, but we see it every year, right? That's where past precedent and past success comes into play with these preseason rankings. They tend to change um, quite a bit throughout the season, especially early on if one of those top teams loses a game or gets upset. I wouldn't call Notre Dame potentially losing to Ohio State and upset. So I don't I don't think I would see them dropping very far. I haven't looked at Clemson's schedule, but I could see either one of those teams drop precipitously if something were to go wrong for their teams. But Clemson's been there, done it. They've had success recently. So I guess they get the benefit of the doubt there. I'm also with you on the Oklahoma Baylor situation. I like what Dave Aranda's doing at Baylor. Oklahoma has a ton of new pieces and and moving parts there. So I I don't pay too much attention to this just because it seems like a, uh, a merit thing based on what you've done in recent seasons. But I like where Ohio state's at. And like you said, it's good for them that Notre Dame is currently ranked number fifth. If they're able to pull off the win, then that's a good feather in their cap moving forward. And uh, I could have seen them potentially coming in at number three, behind Georgia just because they did win the national title last year, but they lost a ton on defense. They lost a bunch of running backs, George Pickens at wide receiver. So I think they will, but they're going to be forced to sort of retool a little bit. I don't know if they're going to bounce back. I haven't looked at their schedule either, but yeah, not a ton of surprises on my end. I think it's to be expected at this point was to be expected. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, at the end of the day, the preseason poll is really only there to, you know, draw TV ratings. You know, people want to see teams competing with numbers next to their name. It really, you know, none of the ratings really matter until the, you know, the college football playoff committee starts making their choices. And then you're really starting to get down to the wire there in the latter half of the season. But, you know, early on, this is basically just a guess. And, and, you know, the votes by the writers who cover the teams who know most of which only cover their own team and not many others. So like you said, it's a lot of it's based on merit and brand. You get the big teams at the top and, and, you know, teams that you expect to be good year in and year out, get the benefit of the doubt early. Um, And then we kind of see how things play out as the year actually goes on. But yeah, like you said, not, not a ton of surprises, but that being said, with with only four ranked teams in the Big Ten going into the season, we let's take a look at one of them uh, who's coming off one of their best seasons in, in quite a while, and that is Michigan State. Um, obviously, a really tremendous year for the Spartans, going eleven and two with a seven and two mark in conference in twenty twenty one. Their only losses on the season were Ohio State and an upset at Purdue, which you know is something that happens if you're a good team. Apparently, uh, you just go to Purdue and you lose games you shouldn't lose. Who among us hasn't lost a road game to Purdue? Uh, but their notable wins against Miami uh, and Michigan, they also defeated Pitt in the Peach Bowl. Uh, they were a really solid team offensively. They're top 40 in the nation, third in the Big Ten in scoring offense. Uh, pretty balanced attack despite Kenneth Walker's incredible year at running back. He put up 1,600 yards with 18 touchdowns. Uh, Peyton Thorne had a really good year at quarterback with Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor at his disposal at wide receivers. So a good offensive unit on paper. Uh, the defense, however, was was decent up front, but atrocious in the secondary. Dead last in yards per game allowed just in the Big Ten. Just a little Just the worst. Just dead last in Big Ten yards allowed. Uh, despite leading the conference with 42 total sacks and allowing the fourth least rushing yards per game. Um, so they have allowed 325 yards per game through the air, which was dead last in all of college football. Um, and the next worst team in the Big Ten allowed less than 250. So are allowing 75 more yards per game passing in the Big Ten, not what you want to see. Just a, a dreadful secondary. The entire reason they got blown out by Ohio State was because of the state of that secondary. Um, but but still, Mel Tucker led his team to 11-2 and in year two after going just 2-5 and five in 2020. He was the recipient of the 2021 Big Ten Coach of the Year. Uh, also was rewarded with a big extension, but it will be interesting to see if they could sustain that level of success because they built a lot of that roster through the transfer portal, which I don't think is a good strategy year over year, at least, you know, to getting guys in a, in a cohesive spot and also just, you know, having the players available to build teams like that. But I guess we'll see if it's sustainable. I don't know if they're going to have, be able to put together back-to-back 11 and two seasons building almost entirely through the transfer portal. But nonetheless, it was, you know, it was a good year for Michigan state, all things considered. Yeah. They're going to be the test, right? Because they did it again this year, but They surprised a lot of people, a lot of teams last year. They were in the hunt 
like we talked about for the Big Ten East title. Now, they lost Kenneth Walker the third and a few big-time contributors, but through at least one year, they've proven that they can plug and play with their new additions. And as much as I want to say that 2021 was an anomaly, I, I'm sort of I'm picking up what Mel Tucker's putting down when you look at the guys they've added this year and the recent success that they've had. Going to see the same recipe this year with a bunch of new transfers. I guess my big question is, will they sneak up on teams? Because I think it's hard to argue that they did that last year. No one saw them winning 10, 11 games. I think they're probably, if you would have asked me last year, I would have maybe said seven to eight wins for them, uh, especially based on what Mel Tucker did at Colorado. He has not had a ton of individual success as a head coach, but he sort of changed the narrative last year. They have some big-time guys coming back led by Peyton Thorne, who I think is one of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten. So it'll be interesting. I think that I could see them having similar success, and I could also see them taking a big step back because of all the newness and the lack of cohesion they've got within their roster. But they need to improve on defense, like you talked about. They need to get much better against the pass. They've got a couple transfer running backs to hopefully replace what Kenneth Walker III gave them. I think Jalen Reed coming, uh, being back is just is huge for them. I think I don't want to put him up there with like David Bell, but I think it's hard to argue that he is probably the best non-Ohio State wide receiver in the conference, for my money at least. So they've got a, a lot of good things going for them. But I know you probably want to start with one side of the ball, so I'm going to flip it back to you, Gene. Where do you want to go, and where, what do you want to talk about? Yeah, but before we get into you know this team on the field this year, do you have any you know strong opinion on Mel Tucker one way or another? I think you kind of alluded to the fact that you're kind of buying into what he's doing there. I know that he got you know the school got a lot of flack for giving him that big extension right before the Ohio State game, where then they were proceedingly blown out. I, I would imagine that as an athletic director, right before you play Ohio State on the road is not the best time to extend your head coach, regardless of who, of who your you know what your team is. But what do you think of, of Mel Tucker? Do you think that you know he's he's bringing Michigan State back? Do you think he got lucky with the year of transfers it seems like you're you're buying into what he's doing there and i i don't i don't totally blame you through one year or, or you know based on what we saw last year i am but with the caveat that like i said i could see it changing quickly i'm with you the timing of the extension was was odd and unfortunate to say the least the thing that i like about mel tucker is you know Good, bad, or otherwise, I, I like his confidence. I like his demeanor. I think that he is a leader of men. Um, I think he needs to be able to recruit. I don't think that this is sustainable year after year after year, which is something that I think that you hit on. I think they have to bring in big-time recruits, supplement the roster. They can continue to add the transfers, but they need to develop from within, like they've done with Peyton Thorne. I don't know that... Uh, Mel Tucker gets a ton of credit for that, but their best player last year was a transfer. They've got some guys that they're counting on this year. So right now I buy in, but it sounds like you have a little more hesitation than I do. Yeah, I just I I have most of it, like you said, is just based on recruiting and, you know, it's gotten a little better on that front, but you just can't you can't expect to hit hit on every guy in the transfer portal year over year. You know we've seen some even at Ohio State. You know some of the guys. I, I agree in, with that. I, I think you are spot on. Yeah, I mean some of the guys Ohio State's brought in recently. You know a lot of them have panned out. You know you look at Justin Fields and Jonah Jackson and guys of that nature. Trey Sermon as well. You know guys that really hit and transferred, and they've had other guys transfer in who you know haven't been as as good of contributors. And I think if you're you know you're flipping a coin on every transfer you bring in, whether it's a guy who you know wasn't getting playing time at a bigger school or played somewhere else and and didn't contribute very well, um, it's just it's a bigger risk for me than you know looking at. I guess you know it's about the same risk as recruits, but I think you know a little bit more of what you're getting. Uh, you know if a guy is very highly touted. Coming out of high school versus you know a guy who was highly touted and is now we're seeing at the next level maybe isn't as good. Um, I think you're taking a big risk there, and I, I don't think that you know you're going to find a, a Kenneth Walker type of player um, in the transfer portal every year. And that was really a guy who you know turned that season around. Without Kenneth Walker, I don't think that team wins anywhere near 11 games. And you know there are some really good other contributors on that team, but he was a true game changer for them. And I just don't think that you know you're going to be able to get that type of player every year. And that is my you know kind of my biggest concern for them in in the long term with Mel Tucker. 
I agree with that. And on the other side of things, you look at a guy like Ronald Williams. I know we'll get to the defense eventually, but he was a Bama transfer. I think he was also a Juco guy. They brought him in and he started at cornerback for them. But you spoke to the results, right? 325 yards passing through the air. He was not a big playmaker in that back end. And then they've got the, uh, uh, I know we'll get to it. I have my notes, but the kid from Florida who will probably play uh, more of a nickel position this year. He was a corner for them, a starting corner for them occasionally last year. So you need to hit if that's what you're going to do. And Kenneth Walker may have covered up a lot. And we'll see, I think, this year because with him gone, they really need to replicate the running game and hope that the passing battery can do the same thing they did last year. But you're right. It's probably a flip of the coin. And he won more than he lost last year. But now we get to see if it's going to be sustainable. Yeah, and so let's let's take a look at this team's offense now without Walker, obviously. Um, we mentioned it before. Peyton Thorne is back at quarterback. Passed for over 3,200 yards with 27 touchdowns, 10 interceptions last year. He's now heading into his second full season as a starter. He's, you know, he's fine. I don't think he's anything, you know, crazy special. I think he is in the upper echelon of Big Ten quarterbacks, but, you know, that's not really saying a whole ton in a conference that mostly, you know, likes to run Yeah, we've, we've talked about that, right? That's not the, yeah. uh, it's not a selling point exactly. Yeah, being one of the top quarterbacks in the Big Ten is not quite, you know, the compliment that it may may look like on paper. But nonetheless, I mean, he's he's a solid quarterback. He doesn't make, you know, a ton of head-scratching mistakes. He's pretty good with the football. They like to run, you know, a pretty vertical passing attack to go along with that running game. And he, he ran it pretty well last year. He did have a lot of help at wide receiver. And, you know, that there you still will have some guys out there this year, but maybe not as much without Jalen Naylor. Um, but losing Walker running back is a huge loss, obviously, for this offense. But as Michigan State is one to do, they brought in a pair of transfers to try and fill the void. Um, they added Jalen Berger from Wisconsin and Jarek Broussard from Colorado. Um, Berger, a former four-star, top 15 running back in his class who never really got it going at Wisconsin. I don't know if he's quite the player that he was you know, scouted as as a, as a high school prospect. But Broussard is a guy who really interests me. Um, I think he's going to be really good for them. I think he's going to wind up being their starting running back. This is a guy who is the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year in 2020. He ran for over 1,500 yards in basically a season and a half if you count the COVID year at Colorado. So neither of them are Kenneth Walker, but I think the rushing attack should be just fine with the combination of those two guys. Um, as I said before, you know, Naylor is another big loss for this team on offense who, you know, he's a guy who led the team last year with 18.8 yards per reception, a really great big play threat. But they do bring back Jaden Reed, a uh, thousand yard receiver for them last year, and it should be a pretty solid cast behind him as well. Uh, Trey Mosley is a junior who had over 500 yards last season. Malik Carr is a big target at six foot five. They also add um, Illinois transfer tight end Daniel Barker, who was a fifth year senior with 11 career touchdowns with some experience to help you know in in the past game. So like the running back room, none of them are quite the you know quite Jalen Naylor, but I think they'll be good as a unit as well. Um, and the offensive line returns a ton of experience from what was a solid group last season. They have starting experience at all five positions up front. Um, they finished fourth in the Big Ten last season, allowing just 21 total sacks. We know they had a good rushing attack. Uh, J.D. Duplain and Nick Samick are two of the leaders of this unit. Both of them are returning. And really, it just comes down to needing guys to stay healthy there. I don't think they're going to be you know, a dominant unit up front by any means, but I think they should be just fine and should be good enough to do what they want to do on offense. So, you know, overall, they did lose a couple of big guys, but I think they did you know, another good job of heading into the transfer portal, grabbing some guys to kind of try to offset a bunch of those guys, maybe not with one particular player, but by committee. And I think that this Michigan State offense should be in for you know, another really solid year. I think they have the bones of a really solid offense. I'll start with quarterback. I do like Peyton Thorne. I don't know that I would put him up there with Aiden O'Connell from Purdue. But then, you know, if you put Peyton Thorne in the Purdue offense, could he put up the same numbers? I don't know. He does take care of the ball, nearly a three to one uh, touchdown to interception ratio. He can run a little bit. So I think he's good. I think he has room to grow. Now, as far as depth there, um, not good. If Peyton Thorne were to go down, I made a note of this. They do not have a backup quarterback who has ever set foot on a college field in a game, at least. So I would say that is somewhat concerning. And that goes back to depth and how you build your roster and how you recruit and things like that. But if Peyton Thorne stays healthy, I like him as a quarterback when it comes to running back. Well, and, and I'll go back to Peyton Thorne real quick. And this is sort of a segue. I think Peyton Thorne is good enough to win you some games. I don't know if he is good enough to win you a lot of games if they miss 
on the running backs that they brought in. I thought he was helped a lot by Kenneth Walker. They were able to go vertical, do some play action, things like that. So they need to hit on these running backs. I'm with you. I like Broussard from Colorado. You mentioned his stats. I'm not going to go over those again. And Jalen Berger may have been a miss for Wisconsin. The way I look at it is if you can't run the ball at Wisconsin behind that offensive line, I don't know how good you're going to be elsewhere, but he can at least be a complimentary piece and a backup. I think he can do enough. So if I had to go out on a limb, I think that they will have a decent enough ground game. Look over a wide receiver. I mentioned I am very high on Jaden Reed. I think he can do a little bit of everything. I think he could potentially be, you know, maybe a first or second team all Big Ten guy, depending on how they spread spread it around at Ohio State. He can go and get you the ball. Trey Mosley, 530 yards last year. So I think they have the pieces there. Keon Coleman and Montori Foster each got a, co- a cup of coffee last year. A couple catches apiece, no big stats, but they'll probably, probably be able to step up enough it's not like they need to feed four or five guys like uh, Ohio State potentially does. Daniel Barker, experienced guy at tight end. So I like all of those pieces. It's going to, in my opinion, depend on how successful they are in the run game. And the offensive line, yeah, you mentioned it, three, three primary starters back. Plus they got an experienced transfer in Brian Green. He's from Washington State. The only real... I guess newbie is Spencer Brown, but he's been in the program and he started the Peach Bowl last year. That was his only start of the year, I think. He's penciled in right now as the right tackle. So probably top half of the Big Ten as far as offensive line units go. So I expect some things from this year, from this unit. You know, I don't know if they're going to be 35 points per game, but I think that they will put up points. It's really going to depend on what their defense gives them if they can compete with some of the teams they have on their schedule. But all in all, like in totality as a unit, I I like their offense and I like that they have that experience at quarterback because we've talked about that within this conference. It's experience or bust. And even some of the experienced guys, you know, I look at like a Rutgers or an, an Illinois or something, a team that we've previewed before. At some point you need to upgrade but I think Peyton Thorne is already an upgrade over some of the other schools in the Big Ten. So I think they'll be good. Yeah, I, I, the unfortunate thing for Michigan State is the offense really isn't the concern for them going into this offseason, despite you know losing some really big names in that room. Uh, it's it Once again, it's going to fall on the, the back of the defense for how this team competes. And before we really get into that lovely secondary, we could start up front first, which is still you know a pretty decent group. Um, however, despite leading the conference in sacks last year, they finished as the fourth worst team in the Big Ten in third down defense. Um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The pass rush will have to be more consistent. You should be getting off the field way more often than that if you're you know, a, a team that's getting after the quarterback pretty well. Um, but once again, that's just you know, it's, it's all coming down to that secondary. But, but up front, they got some guys. Um, defensive line should be strong up the middle with Jacob Slade and Simeon Barrow, both back. That duo combined for 74 tackles last season. They do lose leading sack guy Jacob Panashuk, uh, but they bring back Jeff Petrowski, who finished second with five and a half sacks in 2021. They also bring in Florida transfer Chris Bogle, uh, and they converted running back Brandon Wright is another interesting guy in that room. He played only three games last year, but he registered two and a half sacks and three and a half tackles for loss in those two games. So maybe a name to watch out for that as sort of their, their addition of steel chambers, but up front. Um, they have a pretty solid linebacking core with some options as to who will earn the starting nods. Um, Cal Holiday returns as having tied for the team lead in tackles last year at 96. Uh, formal, former nickelback turned linebacker Darius Snow finished right behind him with 87 tackles, and he's looked really good in the spring. And then they also had a pair of transfers in UNLV uh, star Jacoby Winman and Mississippi State transfer Aaron Brule. Uh, both of these guys seem like pretty legit transfers. Both put up numbers at their previous spots. Uh, Winman had 119 tackles with six and a half sacks in Vegas last season. And Brule had 127 total tackles with 16 tackles for loss in his two seasons with the Bulldogs. So two guys who could potentially make a pretty significant immediate impact. Um, but then that brings us to the back end of this defense, which returns four stars, four starters from a unit that was the worst in the country in 2021. I'm not sure if 
that is a good thing or a bad thing. I guess it can only go uphill from here, but senior safety Xavier Henderson is really the only proven commodity in the secondary. Uh, he finished tied for the team lead with 96 total tackles last season and second in tackles for loss with 10. Generally not a, a great sign when a safety is leading your team in total tackles. Um, Angelo Gross Jones him at the other safety spot. He put up you know, decent numbers, but overall was not great and will need to improve heading into his junior year. They did add Georgia transfer. Yeah, Gene, real speed. quick. Yeah. Real quick on the safeties, you know, you hit on it. You don't necessarily want your safety or one of your safeties to lead the team in tackles. Now, we saw that with Ohio State last year, but I'm not comparing apples to apples here. It seems like they're good, notably good defense, Ohio State. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Right. But I think with the safeties, their stats were a result of they were the cleanup crew. Right. Um and they made all of the plays seemingly in the back end because there weren't a ton of interceptions. The pass coverage was not what you wanted to be. So I think those safeties in particular, I'm not saying they're, they're bad players by any mean, but by any means, but I think that their production was super inflated by the guys around them. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I do think Xavier Henderson is legitimately, you know, a decent player. I am worried about, you know, who will who will join opposite him. I don't know if they have another guy that can maybe match his level, but I think he was solid. And, you know, as you said, his stats were definitely inflated because of what was going on in front of him. But I do think he's a really solid player. And then at cornerback, they add Georgia transfer Amir Speed, uh, which is a great name, great great name for a cornerback, especially Amir Speed. Absolutely. I love it. Uh, six foot three defender who never really got it going at Georgia. Uh, he started three games for the Bulldogs last season as an injury replacement, and he'll probably be expected to really step up and be one of the team's top corners from year one. But, you know, otherwise the unit's really just going to need other guys to step it up after what was, you know, for lack of a better word, just a dreadful campaign. There's there's experience back there, but it isn't the best experience. Um, I don't have a, a whole ton of faith in that unit magically turning around. Um you know, speed is, is fine, but I don't think one guy is going to drastically change the outlook of that secondary as a whole. So I do have, you know, pretty legitimate concerns of this defense, at least on the back end. I do think the front seven should be solid, but I, I think the defensive back room outside of Henderson is is questionable at best. I think those concerns are fair. And when I look at this defense, I actually want to start with the linebackers because I think Michigan State has some dogs at linebacker. You mentioned Cal Halliday led the team with 97 tackles as a redshirt freshman. So stepped on the field and was productive right away. He added two interceptions, both of which were returned for a pick six. So um, I want to say that he is the leader of that room, but then you mentioned the other guys that are there with him. They've got the converted nickelback and Darius snow who had a ton of tackles. I don't even know who their starters are going to be because they run more or less a 4-2-5. Windman from UNLV was 13th in the FBS with those 118 tackles last year, and he was a defensive lineman the year prior in 2020, so he can get after the quarterback, he can rush and do things like that. And You mentioned Brule from Mississippi State, so they've got a ton of options there, and I think if they figure out their rotation or even if they do rotate, they could have one of, if not the best linebacker corps in this Big Ten because they've got guys who were up around or over 100 tackles. So I think that they are definitely going to be the strength of the unit. Looking up front of the, the defensive line, they've got the three starters in Slade, Barrow, and Petrowski. Um, if anything, a little undersized up there. Maybe not so much Barrow. He's 6'2", 285, but... Uh, Petrowski, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's listed at 6'1", 250 as a defensive end. So not that uh, that long, lanky guy with a ton of bend, but he got it done with effort last year. And you talked about the sacks. You know, they finished fourth in college football last year, but it was a lot of by-committee stuff. A, a ton of guys throughout the defensive roster added two, three, four, five sacks. So I look at that and maybe it's the scheme and it's just that good or it could just be circumstance. Teams obviously knew that they could pass on Sparty, throw the ball on Michigan State. So a lot of opportunity there. But I do think the front seven is go- or front six, front seven, whatever you want to call it, is going to be decent for them. Again, comes down to the secondary beating a dead horse here. But when you're last in college football and yards given up, that, that can't be understated. Now, to be fair, they played Ohio State, obviously, Purdue, Western Kentucky. Bailey Zapp threw the ball all over the place, right? Like 5,000 yards last year. So 
They played some tough opponents, but if you went down the schedule, I think they gave up a bunch of yards to Miami um, and, and some other Big Ten opponents. So a ton of improvement to be made there. I'm with you. I like Henderson on the back end. The corners, we'll see from speed, but he's similar to Ronald Williams, right? He, he couldn't do much or didn't get on the field a ton as a contributor in the SEC. And we compare conferences from time to time, but I, I look at the Big Ten and their passing offenses that they have. You've got Purdue. You've got Ohio State. Um, we'll look at their schedule in a little bit. You're going to go up against some teams who know how to throw the ball when pressed or by game plan. So I, I think it's all going to come down to their secondary. And really, I think that's the biggest question mark about their team. I, I don't think that they're going to replace Kenneth Walker, the third one for one, but I think they can cobble together a running game. A lot of the other guys are returnees, but if teams go in and they know that they can throw the ball and there is not significant improvement, then Michigan State could struggle because the gap like you hit on was just so large between them and the next worst passing defense in the Big Ten that, I mean, they need to make huge improvements if they're going to stop anybody. But, um, you know, we'll see. If that front six, front seven can get after the quarterback and help those guys out on the back end, you know, I know Speed was a decent recruit, and they have Chester Kimbrough, too, who transferred in from Florida. He was sixth on the team in tackles last year. I think I read that he's going to be more of the nickel guy this year. Um, we'll see. And I know they have some additional transfers projected as backups right now. I could see a quick hook for a guy like Ronald Williams or Amir Speed because they know that they need to get better and they need to keep throwing things against the wall in order to do so. But if that pass defense can be passable, um, then maybe they can improve over last year. And, uh, you know, those linebackers, though, I, I really do think that that's going to be a strength of the unit, three, four options. Maybe they even mess with their defense, alter their defense a little bit and show you some different looks. But again, I think they have the bones of a decent defense as long as they don't have an empty skeleton in that back end, you know what I mean? They've got to get a lot better there. Yeah, I, I think you pretty much nailed the hit the nail on the head. This team is only going to go as far as this defense will allow it. You just simply can't be a successful team as a whole when you have the nation's worst passing defense. You might be able to get away with it against some of the teams in the Big Ten, but clearly not against you know the Ohio States of the world. Even even like a team like Maryland or a Purdue, I, I think would kind of have their way with that secondary, much like Ohio State did last season. Um, you know, looking at their schedule, uh, it's pretty tough early on. They do have to go to uh, Washington in the non-conference. I do think that's a game Michigan State probably wins, but I'm not 100% certain on that. They have a really Washington's hard... a weird place to play, though. You know, like they're not a powerhouse, but going to the Northwest and dealing with that travel and all that stuff. And I've I've seen I, I don't know the timing. It is a night game. I've seen a Washington football game at night. Like I said, they're not a powerhouse, but that's sort of a a weird, unique atmosphere to play in. Yeah, I, I'm not penciling that in as, as a win for certain for Michigan State by any means. Uh, definitely not the easiest non-conference game. And then they have a really tough four-game stretch heading into Big Ten play against Maryland, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Just a brutal four-game tilt there. Maryland and, and Michigan both on the road. Uh, I think that, you know, I obviously I think they lose to teams like Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, I think Wisconsin is, is beatable given the way that these two teams match up. But I do think that it's, it's a very realistic chance that they lose to a team like Maryland, especially if that pass defense doesn't get better. You know, we previewed Maryland earlier on uh, on this podcast and how we talked about, you know, their, their passing attack with Talia Tagovailoa and some of their receivers. And if, if this Michigan State team doesn't get significantly better on the back end, I think that's going to be a really tough game for them, especially on the road. But but, you know, the, the bright side for them is that they do finish the season against Illinois, Rutgers, Indiana, and Penn State. So other than that game against the Knits, I think that's, you know, other those other three are probably wins. Um, so, you know, just based on the quick mats here, I mean, you're looking at like an 8-4, and 9-3 season. And that's, you know, that, unless the defense drastically improves, I think that's going to be the ceiling for this team with how some of these offenses are going to go up against the Big Ten look. They do miss 
Purdue, which I guess is really the other big passing offense in this conference. But you got to play Maryland. You got to play Ohio State. They have games against Michigan uh, on the road, game against Penn State. So not not a ton of easy easy wins on that stretch. But I, I do think they're they're they're. I don't know if they're going to take a full like you know really big step back and just look like a much worse team from their eleven and two record. But I just think the way that their schedule pans out, it's going to be kind of tough for them to reach double digit wins for a second year in a row. I'm glad you brought up that Maryland game because I do I'm with you. I think that could be a tricky one in Maryland or, you know, at Maryland, obviously. We previewed their team and wide receivers like one through four. They've got arguably the second or third, probably deepest wide receiver room in this conference. So yeah, I think that could be a tricky one. I'm with you. I think they probably drop games to Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, Wisconsin is a toss-up for me. And that Penn State game, too, just because it's at Penn State, uh, I'm not as high on them. And, you know, James Franklin and everything they've got going on there. But if Penn State's playing well and they carry momentum into that last game of the year at home, that could be a tricky one, too. So uh, I think I'm with you. We have varied on some of these Big Ten teams, but I think I'm right in line with you on Michigan State. I would peg them at an eight or nine win team. I think that they would have difficulty getting to 10 wins if I had to go game by game right now. Yeah, it, it's not the easiest stretch on paper for Michigan State. I don't think they're going to be a bad team by any means. I do think you know they're very easily going to make it to a bowl game, but they're really relying on a lot of of question marks to turn it around on that defensive secondary. It's not like they brought in you know a bunch of former five star guys in that room. They did bring in a couple of guys, but it's nobody that is looking like they're going to be an instant game changer. You know, they didn't get go out and get you know an Eli Ricks or, or a player of that caliber. So I'm just very. Concerned What's about funny, the Gene, is I yeah as I look at it in. in I'm not making bold predictions, but really they could follow up three ass kickings with three walkovers. You know, they've got Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan. They could lose all three of those, but then they get Illinois, Rutgers and Indiana all in a row. So they could have a Jekyll and Hyde type of season as I look at it right now. Yeah, for sure. They could be definitely like going into the offseason, at least feeling a little bit good based on how their schedule ends. I don't know about that, you know, that final game of the year against Penn State. It'll be interesting to see like where those two programs are at by the time that game rolls around, but certainly some beatable opponents um, in between that tough stretch and that Penn State game. So it'll be, you know, it's a, it's really going to come down to, like we said, you know, let's say time and time again, but it's really going to come down to how that secondary plays. And I think that's going to be um, kind of the story of, of Michigan State's season. Um, Does Mel Tucker get another extension if they have a good season? I mean, you have to extend them right before your toughest game of the year, right? That's just that's just the well, way. Well, I mean, do they've it. proven that they're ready to, uh, you know, jump the gun pretty early there, so they could do the Kirk Ferentz thing, where like every good season equals an extension. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they go, you know, if they go nine and three, eight and four. I don't think they're it's going to be a, a sky is falling situation. I think they're pretty content with where they're at right now. I think they do like Mel Tucker a lot, and it's not like you know, unless he, he goes under five hundred this year, I, I think they kind of understand where they're at right now. And then you know, they got to give him some time, I guess, for their recruiting to get a little bit better. If they start bringing in some better guys on defense, especially, I think they'll be in, in good shape. So I don't think they're going to be, you know, they're going to be calling for Mel Tucker's head at the end of the season if they do finish with an eight and four record or something or along those lines. But yeah, I don't, I don't think eleven and two is is in the cards this year unless things really really break right for them i'm with you and i was thinking about their transfer portal prowess earlier um and we've seen some guys leave ohio state i it's probably just a matter of time before you start to see whether it's an ohio state player or i wouldn't be surprised if they start going after interconference guys like hey you didn't get playing time at wisconsin hey you didn't get time at playing at Penn State because that just seems to be their MO in adding talent to their roster. Yeah, it's an interesting strategy. We'll see how it plays out for them, Cotton. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. 
now that we've had a rousing talk about of Michigan State, let's head to the other team on our preview for you guys today, and that is Minnesota, the Golden Gophers. Uh, looking at 2021, they managed to put together a 9-4 and season, but it certainly wasn't the prettiest. They lost to Ohio State in the opener, where they also lost running back Mohamed Abraham for the season. Uh, they then lost to Bowling Green in the non-conference, a team that finished the season 4-8. and That is not something that you want to do. Um, they lost a gross 14-6 game to Illinois. They did manage to defeat Wisconsin. Uh, they also beat West Virginia in the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. So a kind of an odd season uh, for the Gophers last year. But even still, only the fourth time since 1905 that the program won at least nine games. So I guess it's still considered uh, a success when you get that 9-4 finish regardless of how it looks. Um, kind of the reverse of Michigan State where the offense was bad, but the defense was good. Not a you know, not completely dreadful offense, but certainly not good. They were 83rd in the country in points per game with 25.5 points, ninth in the Big Ten in total yards. Uh, however, despite losing Ibrahim early in the season. They still finished third in the Big Ten in rushing yards per game, uh, but they were 12th in passing yards per game. So, And they also lost two or three running backs to season-ending injuries uh, along the way. So kind of a, a dangerous job to be the Minnesota running back last season, but nonetheless still put together decent uh, yards on the ground. Uh, the real problem was Tanner Morgan, who played in 13 games and only threw for 10 touchdowns with nine interceptions. That's simply not going to get the job done in college football. Uh, really no passing attack to speak of for this team last year. However, the defense was really good. They were sixth best in all of FBS, allowing just 17.3 points per game. They were number two in the Big Ten in both yards allowed and both uh, and number two in both pass and run defense. Um, and the defense was good despite not ranking highly in you know any of the big stats, you know sacks or picks. They were 10th in both categories in the conference. They did, however, lead the conference in time of possession, which certainly helps uh, keep your defense fresh. So a reverse of Michigan State where their defense is what held them back. For Minnesota, it was the offense, and it was you know led by a, a severe step back from Tanner Morgan. Yeah, and he's an experienced guy, right? You wouldn't have expected that, but his 2019 season is looking like more and more of a fluke. I'm upset you kind of hit on the stats that I was going to bring up for their defense, you know, third in yards per game allowed sixth in uh, points per game allowed, but they didn't finish top 25 in any of the following categories, sacks, interceptions, fumble recoveries, or total turnover. So you said it very odd to have a, uh, a unit that performs that well on the surface, but then your sort of measurable stats are not that great, but the team as a whole you know, I, I looked back in in Gene, I honestly can't believe that they won nine games last year. And that's not necessarily a shot at their talent or their coaching, but they received poor quarterback play. Uh, they lost 100 running backs seemingly to injury, including Ibrahim. And they put up a mediocre 25 and a half points per game on offense, not a bunch of turnovers on defense. So that is generally not a recipe for success, but I think you have to give credit to P.J. Fleck and his guys. They continue to run the ball down teams' throats and play outstanding defense. So they certainly won't sneak up on anybody this year after nine wins last year, but they do have some good experienced players coming back, and they could probably make some noise in the Big Ten West, which is the same could be said for really any of those teams um, on that side of the ledger, but yeah, it's going to come down to can Tanner Morgan get back to or close to the 2019 season that he put up? And can the defense be generally as successful despite the losses of guys like Jack Gibbons and Boye Mafe? So interesting team. I think that they outkicked their coverage last year. And I would be surprised if they got to that nine win mark, but you got to look at the schedule. You got to look at the teams they play and it's not great. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised by any of the results that we see from this Minnesota football team. But, um, you know, we'll see. I, I'm not the biggest PJ Fleck guy. I, I like his spirit, I guess, but the results haven't necessarily been there. You know, he was brought into the big 10 after his experience at, uh, Gosh, directional Michigan. It's not coming to Western. me right now, but yeah, I I thought that he would be better and do better, but Minnesota is not a, a hotbed, right? And the recruiting hasn't been great. I think it's tough to get guys into that program. So I think he's probably mid-tier when it comes to coaches in the Big Ten, but you look at what he did last year. Again, I think credit goes to him versus a guy like um, foreshadowing a little bit like Paul Christ, 
I, I think Paul Christ has underperformed, especially the last couple of years at Wisconsin. So I, I think he's a solid coach, and this is a solid football team, but in my opinion, nothing to write home about. Yeah, P.J. Fleck for me is just a guy that I have like seemingly no opinion of. Like I could take him or leave him. He's he's fine, I guess. You know, he's heading into his sixth year with the Gophers after, as you mentioned, four years at Western Michigan, thirty-five and twenty-three career record at Minnesota. His only losing seasons were his first year and the COVID year. Otherwise, they've gone seven and six, eleven and two, and nine and four. So you know, decent decent seasons, especially for a school like Minnesota. But I just you know I have no strong feelings either way on P.J. Fleck, which I don't know if is a is a good thing or a bad thing. But I just you know he's he's okay he is pj fleck like you said he's a kind of a plucky guy he has a lot of his players seemingly buying in i don't know how much that's still happening it seemed like more so earlier in his tenure but you know he's he's fine i guess um he has however you know seemed to make at least one good move this offseason and that is uh Firing his offensive coordinator uh, after the bowl game and bringing back Kirk Soraka, who helped lead that 2019 team to an 11-2 season. Um, that year, they were the 22nd best offense in the nation, averaging 34.1 points per game. Um, speaking of this offense, they return a core group of players on offense that Fleck calls the Encore Four, um, which is a group of 60-year guys comprised of Morgan and Ibrahim, two guys we've already touched on, and as well as uh, wide receiver Chris Altman-Bell and center John Michael Schmitz. Um, Morgan simply has to be better than he was in 2021. He regressed significantly last season, as we touched on. The Minnesota as a team trailed only the service academies in passing attempts, so they really just went away from the passing game entirely. That even is even rough. with yeah, it's not what you want. Even with all the running back injuries, they didn't even attempt to pass all that much. Um, but. Soraka will try to get him back to that 2019 version of himself that he helped coach. Morgan that year threw for 3,200 yards, 30 touchdowns, and seven picks. So we've seen him compete at a high level. Maybe Soraka can bring that back out of him. Maybe he can't, but it can't get much worse for Morgan than it was last year. He's going to have to you know, get back to form this season. Um, as we mentioned, Mohamed Ibrahim is back at running back, coming off a season-ending Achilles injury. It'll be interesting to see hey, how Jane, he looks. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that Tanner Morgan's regression – is one of the more like memorable ones that you can think of at least maybe just for a quarterback in the big 10, but like it's been significant. And for a guy that was so high to fall so low into middle of the pack at best, are you surprised by that? I mean, yeah, I, I guess so. Like, it's not like he, I mean, he, he lost a couple of his big weapons on offense, but even so, like he just, he went from a guy that was, you know, probably the best quarterback in the Big Ten West at minimum to, you know, one of the worst quarterbacks in the Big Ten West, which is full of not good quarterbacks. So it was just a really ugly season for him. I don't really know what the problem was. Maybe he was playing through some kind of injury. Maybe it was just confidence. Maybe just the team around him wasn't, you know, built correctly to his to his styles or whatever. Maybe the offense was run a weird way. But just a really, you know, big fall from grace for a guy who, like I said, put up big numbers uh, in 2019 and just simply hasn't been able to to regain that in the years since. Um, but, you know, hopefully for him, having Ibrahim back, however healthy he is, is good for them. Uh, before the injury, Ibrahim was one of the best running backs in the entire conference, if not the entire country. Um, he's got a pair of 1,000-yard uh, rushing seasons under his belt. He ran for 163 yards on Ohio State and really, you know, two and a half quarters before getting injured this past season. Um, they also get back Trey Potts and Bryce Williams in that room, both of whom are also coming off season-ending injuries. Um, the aforementioned Altman Bell is back as the team's leading receiver. He also dealt with some injury issues of his own last season, but still led the team with 500 yards and six touchdowns. It's also not good when your top receiver has 500 yards on the season, but nonetheless, um, no other receiver on the roster had more than two touchdowns, and he had six um, joining him will be Texas A&M transfer Dylan Wright, who's going into his second year at Minnesota, looking to build off of averaging 20.3 yards per catch last season to lead the team. Um, they'll also have six foot seven tight end Brevin Span forward as a big target for Morgan to hit. And they will, um, unfortunately for Morgan, however, they will have to replace almost all of their offensive line outside of the aforementioned uh, John Michael Schmitz. Uh, they brought in a pair of transfers. It's about damn time, though, because yeah. they were all like ninth-year seniors. Yeah, they had some really good guys on that team, but like you said, they were all there for a long time. Um, they brought in a pair of transfers from Notre Dame and Michigan to help fortify the group, but it'll be interesting to see how that uh, unit comes together after being so solid last season. But yeah, this is this is like like Michigan State and the secondary. This team is going to go as Tanner Morgan goes. I agree. And you look back at his 2019 season again, he was second or third team all Big Ten, if I'm not mistaken. But you take that season out of the equation and he's a guy who completes less than 60 percent of his passes and he owns worse than a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. So um, he needs to try and recapture that magic. 
but he has played in 42 games and he at least gives you a little bit of poise and experience back there. And I doubt he gets even remotely pushed. So I think we beat the quarterback thing over the head, the running back situation. Muhammad Ibrahim is, was one of the best running backs in the big 10, but I do worry about him coming back uh, off of an Achilles injury. That's a serious injury for a guy who's so dependent upon his lower body and his legs. But Trey Potts is back too. He is a fourth year sophomore, so he could end up being another sixth year guy like Ibrahim and some of the other guys that you mentioned. Um, it, it just seems like they figure out a way with three or four or five guys getting it done consistently, even last year after the losses due to injury. So they'll probably cobble something together there. I think that's going to be the strength of their offense if they have one, because the wide receiver uh, situation and position, they were, they return their top four wide receivers and span forward, but that's not a huge plus, right? They barely cracked 2000 yards passing. Uh, I like Altman bell, but in five years, he is not wowed. And I think some people expected him to potentially replace Rashad Bateman. And the more you look at it, Rashad Bateman may have been the whole reason that um, that Tanner Morgan had such a great 2019 season because he put up some dominant stats at Minnesota. Now it looks like he's coming on in the NFL. I do like Dylan Wright. He's a physical specimen at 6'4", 210, former A&M guy. I could see a breakout there because he was the number 12 wide receiver in the 2019 recruiting class. So he's talented. They have some guys there, but they need to figure out that um, that chemistry or that cohesion, whatever it is that they were missing from the passing game. And up front, yeah, they they've got guys that have been in the program, but they are replacing pretty much all of the starting experience. They lost Daniel Falele, Connor Olson, Sam Schluter, uh, Blaze. Andres, I think is how you pronounce it. That's a lot. And we've hit on the experience there. I jokingly said like a thousand years of experience, but we, I, I remember I was pretty new to land grant last year when we previewed Minnesota. And that was probably the first thing we hit on along with Muhammad Ibrahim is all the guys they had up front, all the experience, the size, the nastiness. That was a really, really good offensive line. And now they're going to have to turn it over. So I can see regression in their running game, and I don't know if Tanner Morgan can find what he had in the past to elevate that part of the offense. So I know they put it together last year with with parts, spare parts, seemingly. I don't know if they can do it again this year on the offensive line, which was the driving factor in their success last year. Yeah, I think the Rashad Bateman point is definitely, you know, a, a realistic possibility that, you know, he was just so good that he made the rest of that offense look good. You know, we've seen what one really good wide receiver could do for an offense. So I do think that's worth considering. But, you know, speaking of, you know, big losses at Minnesota specifically, they lose a, a handful of guys from that 2021 defense that was so good at, at all three levels. Um, you know, defensive end and, and their leader in sacks, Boy Mafe, linebacker and leading tackler Jack Gibbons and stud corner Coney Durr, all gone. Um, on the defensive line specifically, six of the top eight players with the most snap, snap counts from last year are gone. Um, obviously, Mafe, the second round pick, was the biggest, but they bring back Thomas Rush. Um, and add Lorenzo Sergers from Vanderbilt. Rush finished right behind Mafe last season with five and a half sacks. Uh, up the middle, they returned Trill Carter, another great name, uh, as well as Darnell Absolutely. Jeffries, they add from Clemson. Yep. Um, the loss of Gibbons at linebacker is big, but they do bring back Mariano Sori Myron, uh, who was second on the team last season with 85 total tackles. Also had a pick and two forced fumbles. He's a really good player up the middle for them. Really strong presence against both the run and the pass. Um, the other two linebacker spots, or one linebacker spot, however, they they format out there um, is is up for grabs, but they have a handful of guys in the mix with experience. They do bring back both safeties, which is good for them. Tyler Newbin and Jordan Howen, pretty good safety combo. Newbin led the team with three picks last year, totaled 52 tackles. Howen had 43 tackles and five pass breakups to finish second in that category. 
And then at corner, they bring back Justin Wally, uh, who returns after being named a freshman All-American last year. He had a team-high seven pass breakups with a pick and two fumble recoveries. They also bring in Shannon Bishop from Western Kentucky and Ryan Staff from Abilene Christian from the portal. Um, and the coaching staff has really liked how the secondary has shaped up. So the defense loses some really big names, but it seems like they have guys in place at, at all those spots to kind of fill in. And maybe you know a, a slight step back from last year's defense, which was just so, so good with a lot of those star players in there. Uh, but they still got some really good guys on defense. I'm not really a ton worried about the Minnesota defense it is it is this team is really just a mirror image of Michigan State where all of my concerns are are on the passing game not as much in stopping the passing game because I do think that their defense will still be pretty good even with the big losses yeah I think they'll be pretty good but I I just don't see how they replicate last year's numbers without you know a ton of turnovers more sacks whatever it is because we've talked about them not finishing up even in the top 25 in any of those categories I think Boye Mafe's loss it is a big one and the stats were seemingly never there as far as like all big 10 or all American, but he was a presence and I think he's done some things for the Seahawks and their camp and their preseason. Now that he's in the NFL, I think that he could be a guy that has a productive and, you know, fruitful NFL career. So teams always had to account for him game plan for him. So I think that's a big loss. Same thing goes for Jack Gibbons, uh, I guess the corner, Ryan Stapp, must have heard some good things from Gibbons, both of the Abilene Christian guys. But, yeah, they're returning their third, fourth, and fifth leading tacklers. Um, up front, they're going to be inexperienced. They've got Thomas Rush. He's kind of a, a hybrid stand-up guy. He did rack up five and a half sacks last year. Not a ton of experience because they also lost Niles Pinckney, who was the Clemson transfer, if I'm not mistaken, played one season with them. So I, I think they need to figure out a way to get to the quarterback. Sorry, Marin in the middle for them at linebacker. Good player, the 85 tackles that you brought up. I do find the rest of their linebacker options pretty uninspiring, though. Braylon uh, Oliver played seven games, or started seven games, I'm sorry, played in all 13, but only finished with 24 tackles. So even if you just went off of his starting numbers, you're looking at like three tackles per game as a starter, not a ton of production there. Same goes for Donald Willis, who has been a backup. They could struggle there in the middle without Gibbons and on the back end. Yeah. Coney Durr was a good ball player. Um, not a ton of stats, but he was just a sticky cover guy. I like their safety situation, their safety duo, Newbin and Howard. They bring some different things to the table. I think Newbin's, more of a playmaker. He led the team or tied with the team lead uh, with three interceptions last year. Wally, freshman All-American, ton of pass breakups. I think he only had one or two interceptions. He could bring them some things. And you mentioned Bishop. Uh, I wrote him down as Beanie Bishop, so I think he's got a great nickname. He was first team All-Conference USA for Western Kentucky last year. Playmaker. He was also a good return man. So, Similar to Michigan State, they've got some new faces, not necessarily completely supplemented through the transfer portal, but new faces regardless. They'll have to figure it out, even if they don't replicate last year's numbers, should be a solid unit. But if they're not a top five, top 10 defense like they were last year, I don't know if those two sides of the ball level out, right? And we've talked about that with other teams. It seems to be a common theme within the Big Ten that you've got a strong unit and a weaker unit and the better teams traditionally are able to sort of meet in the middle there with the exception of like, you know, Ohio State last year clearly didn't meet in the middle, but their scoring defense was better than they probably got credit for. So Minnesota interests me because they did, they shouldn't have won nine games last year, but they did. And so I look at their schedule this year I could see them doing the same thing, but kind of getting into that, Penn State, not an easy game. Um, Iowa, probably not going to be the team they were last year, but not an easy game. Wisconsin, Michigan State. Um, so it'll be interesting. It, they should start out 3-0, though. They're playing New Mexico State and Western Illinois and Colorado. Colorado has been dreadful for the past couple of seasons uh, no thanks to Mel Tucker, who's now in the Big Ten. But 
Yeah, I mean, I'll have an eye on him. I, I, I'm interested to see how Muhammad Ibrahim comes back from his injury because I love to watch him run. He's a physical guy, enough speed to break it loose. I worry about the injury, but but we'll see if P.J. Fleck can do the same thing he did last year. I think you've got some uninspiring parts, and he was able to inspire them and make them better and help them achieve some success. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that you know Minnesota of the teams we've previewed so far is one of the the harder to predict because, like you said, you know this is a team that probably shouldn't have done as well as they did last year. So maybe you know they're able to hit on some of that same un, un uh, you know unexpected success. But you know, in my eyes, I mean, this is probably like a seven and five team. But they also have a chance to go maybe eight and four, or nine and three if they could just steal a win here and there. Um, because, like you said, you know they're not for conference schedules pretty easy. They're likely going to start three and zero. They do miss Ohio State and Michigan in the crossover games, which is generally good. But they have tough road games at Michigan State, at Penn State, and at Wisconsin. They also travel to Illinois, which could be a weird game. Um, they do get Purdue, Rutgers, Northwestern, and Iowa at home. So maybe you know three and one or two and two against those types of teams. But I don't know. I don't see. I don't see nine wins in the cards for Minnesota. Maybe they shock us again, but I just think that this this entire season, uh, it, it depends on how good or bad Morgan in that passing game is and how healthy uh, Muhammad Ibrahim is. I expect their defense to once again be good. I think it'll take a step back from last season. And like you said, I don't know if it's it's going to be good enough to really uphold that that lack of offense if it's the same as it was last year. And so I, I don't think that, you know, it's not like they're getting better on defense. So you're getting a slightly worse version of a good defense and an either, you know, similar or maybe slightly better version of, of, a, of a really bad offense. And I don't know if that's enough to carry you to, you know, eight, nine, ten wins in a season. Yeah, you'd have to put me down for seven wins. And something that you hit on earlier is ball control. I think that was part of the recipe for success for their defense last year. They they smother opposing defenses with their run game, so it's it's more difficult to put up big yards and a ton of points when you simply don't have the ball. So if their running game is about as good as it was last year, maybe they can repeat, but that's a big if especially when the passing game has not shown enough progress or the progress you'd like to see with an experienced quarterback. So yeah, I'd probably put them at seven or eight wins. I don't see them shocking anybody. Like I don't see them becoming the next Michigan state. Now I know they're building the roster two different ways and there's new coach versus more experienced coach of the set and the other, but I don't see them coming completely out of left field and shocking anybody. No, certainly not. I mean, somebody in the Big Ten West has to win the games. Like, they physically have to be games won by somebody. By um, default, yes. Yeah. The science I, I tells like, us that. I don't like any of the teams to do it, but someone has to do it. Um, so maybe Minnesota will be one of those teams, but it is just a, a, a not very good uh, Big Ten West side of the bracket here. And, you know, speaking of the Big Ten West, we're going, you know, we're coming up here on on two of our last preview shows before the season. Going to do things a little bit differently in the last two. You know, throughout this part, we've kind of gone one East, one West teams. But we're going to finish it out this week where we finish with the top two teams in the West next week in Wisconsin and Iowa. And then we finish that up with the finale, of course, which is Ohio State and Michigan in the East. So two should be really fun previews. Uh, coming up for you so guys Gene, soon. next week is going to be our air raid episode, right? Yes, with exactly. Wisconsin and Iowa. All the offense next week, all of the time with Wisconsin and Iowa. Um, as I've done the last, you know, at the, the way we've gone through this, I will direct you if you want more on either uh, Michigan State or Minnesota. I will direct you to our SB Nation sister sites. Those are the only colors for Michigan State and the Daily Gopher for Minnesota. Um, and so if you're looking for more on those teams, you know, better insight on what's going on day to day with those two teams, be sure to check them out. Um, and yeah, Josh, I think that's really uh, it for us today. You have any other words on the two most exciting teams in the Big Ten in Minnesota and Michigan State? I don't, man. Let's get to it. I like doing these previews, and I've enjoyed each and every one of them, even when we're talking about you know teams that are projected to win four or five games. It's been a lot of fun, but I am just chomping at the bit to get to the regular season and see some football. So the sooner the better, man. Yep, it is just around the corner, folks. We are getting there slowly but surely. But that's going to be it for us this week. So be sure to check out all of our written content over at Land Grant Holy Land. We have a lot of, obviously, Ohio State more centric stuff going on over there as we get prepped for the season as a whole, as long as you guys. Um, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff all those podcasts ask you to do. Uh, and for Josh Dooley, I'm your host, Gene Ross. And as always, go Bucks. <laughs>